Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Folks, we said we might be back with an emergency podcast just a mere 24 hours after recording our last one. And back we are because there have been developments in the COVID-19 crisis that's been developing on the Adria tour. Um, Well, probably over the course of the past two weeks, but it's only presented itself to us over the past few days. We've obviously been been following it extremely closely. We're expecting a statement from the world number one and one of the organisers of the Adria Tour, Novak Djokovic, today. And we have had that statement. In fact, we've had two statements from the world number one. I'll read you the first one just now. Um, It starts off by confirming that Djokovic has indeed tested positive for COVID-19 immediately upon his arrival in Belgrade. He was tested along with members of his family and his team. Um, He wasn't showing any symptoms and he says that his result is positive, as is his wife, Yelena's. His children both tested negative. He goes on to say, everything we did in the past month, we did with a pure heart and sincere intentions. Our tournament meant to unite and share a message of solidarity and compassion throughout the region. The tour has been designed to help both established and up and coming tennis players from southeastern Europe to gain access to some competitive tennis while the various tours are on hold due to the COVID-19 situation. It was all born with philanthropic idea to direct all raised funds towards people in need and it warmed my heart to see how everybody strongly responded to this. We organised the tournament at the moment when the crisis has weakened, believing that the conditions for hosting the tour had been met. Unfortunately, this virus is still present and it is a new reality that we are still learning to cope and live with. I am hoping things will ease with time so we can all resume lives the way they were. I am extremely sorry for each individual case of infection. I hope that it will not complicate anyone's health situation and that everyone will be fine. I will remain in self-isolation for the next 14 days and repeat the test in five days. Now, it was already going to be a busy day today for, uh, well, certainly for the British tennis media, because it was the the first day of of Jamie Murray's event, the Battle of the Brits. Um, But obviously, with, with this huge kind of story transcending the sport developing um it's an even busier day so what does simon briggs want at about 9 p.m he wants a message from david law saying uh don't close your laptop too soon simon do you want to come on the tennis podcast hello simon uh, hi uh, 
Can you hear me okay? <laughs> we can hear you, Simon, albeit a, a, a slightly weary voice, but we're uh, we're very glad to have you. How's your day been? Yeah, well, actually, uh, I, I played a bit of tennis this morning, which was uh, probably a good idea because then um, at about one o'clock, the... Um, the Novak statement dropped, didn't it? Just actually, almost as the first balls were being hit in what you might describe as elite tennis in the UK in 2020. Um, almost simultaneously, as Jamie Murray went on court for the doubles match, the first statement dropped. And the news, of course, that Novak had tested positive. Um, I mean, the, the, the I think if you're talking about the Adria tour, it wasn't as big a deal today. You know, the positive tests were uh, concerning. Um, but the, well, how many did we hear about yesterday? We heard sort of five, hadn't we, by the end of the, by the, end of the day. Um, the first one on Sunday night. Um, so today it felt like a kind of continuation rather than being quite the bombshell of yesterday when it might have been my busiest ever day on Twitter. What were your initial reactions? Well, obviously, it's Djokovic has subsequently released a second statement on Instagram tonight, which we will come on to. But what were your reactions when that first statement came out, and, and how how much did it differ or, or not from from what you were expecting from him? Not in terms of necessarily the result of the test, but as somebody responsible for that tour and that tournament, his sort of degree of of the responsibility he was prepared to take, etc. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, there was a sort of um, there was a sort of slightly cheesed off tone to it, wasn't it? That, that he was sort of disappointed that we hadn't seen his pure intentions uh, for what they were, and almost the implication that uh, that that should have um, been enough to satisfy onlookers, and indeed, you know, the mysterious workings of the virus, and it was a bit of a mystery that it had uh, not recognised his pure intentions for the uh, the positives that they were. So he kind of sounded a little bit um, almost petulant in the first statement. And then by the time the second one came out, he was a lot more uh, apologetic. It felt like somebody might have had a word. Yeah. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. The the, the, the sender of the, the all too perky late night text messages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Extra podcast. And you've got the second statement in front of you, haven't you? Which, which yeah. came out n- not not that long ago no it's uh it's two or three hours old this uh, particular statement two and a half hours ago novak djokovic posted it um similar beginning hi everyone we're back in belgrade i've tested positive for covid19 as well as yelena the kids have tested negative we will remain in self-isolation for the next 14 days and repeat the test in five days then he goes on to say i am so deeply sorry our tournament has caused harm Everything the organisers and I did the past month, we did with a pure heart and sincere intentions. We believed the tournament met all health protocols and the health of our region seemed in good condition to finally unite people for philanthropic reasons. We were wrong and it was too soon. I can't express enough how sorry I am for this and every case of infection. If you attended Adria Tour or were around any attendees, please get tested and practice social distancing. For those in Belgrade and Zadar, we will be sharing health resources in the immediate future. The rest of the tournament has been cancelled and we will remain focused on all those who have been affected. I pray for everyone's full recovery. Which is a pretty different tone to the initial one that you read out, Catherine. And 
when I was discussing the the subject last night, and I was voicing my disappointment with his radio silence on the subject, that second statement is more like what I was hoping to hear, an accepting of responsibility, uh, an acceptance that he owed everybody an apology, and a need to try to do something about it. The first one was was just really not up to it at all. Um, and, you know, I, f- I feel for him, I feel for Yelena, I hope that they get well soon. It's it, I, I feel for anybody who's got this virus. Um, but he has caused a massive problem um, by just not taking any of this seriously in, in its first instance. And, um, and, and at least that statement makes some move towards trying to do the right thing. Yeah, Simon, what's your take on the, the, the second statement, the the tone of it, the content of it, and and the fact that it that it took t- two two attempts to to get to that stage? Yeah, you know, sort of six or seven hours, probably wasn't it between um, between the two statements? Um, yeah, I think it was much more, um, as David says, much more tactful, uh, and there was a little bit of extra content in there with him recommending that. People should get tested. I mean, there's a lot of people who were there because it was 4,000 in the stands in Belgrade. It was a couple of thousand in Zadar. Um, and it was, uh, you know, uh, two two days in each, wasn't it? So um, it was quite a big ask to get all these people tested. He's going to provide testing kits with the implication uh, if people need them. Um, so, yeah, that, that was definitely uh, definitely the kind of thing that he needed to say. Um, how much it sort of takes him over the initial ill feelings being created by this event, what well, time will tell. But there's certainly a sense that people now are looking at his political position on the um, ATP Player Council and asking if it's tenable. Yeah, I mean, he he will, I presume, have been been hoping that 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 this statement will have will have gone some way to, to taking a lot of the, the heat and the, the sting out of the situation in terms of the the negativity towards him. Do you, th- I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 I know it depends on, on what further developments we have, but what's your, what's your sense? What's your feeling on, on how successful that will be for Djokovic? Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> The thing is that it probably comes down to the player council. We return almost to the questions we were talking in terms of political mechanics around Justin Gimmelstob, um, you know, back in 2018, in the sense of uh, in order to remove somebody from office, you'd have to have six of the 10 voting members uh, supporting that decision. So the player council would have to be quite. Uh, firm in 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 making that call, um, and you, you got obviously Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal on that body, and I don't think they would really want to take up a, a strong position on this. It's almost, you know, when Andy Murray was asked about um, the whole situation, particularly on Monday, there's a sense in which he doesn't want to go too far because these four are so intertwined. Obviously, the other three ahead of Andy by some margin, but they're all quite intertwined and they don't really want to get involved with kind of massive rift between them. Um, and, and 
and he got the sense that Murray might be very careful. He doesn't want to criticise a guy who he knows has, has been his biggest obstacle in the game because of their own kind of sporting reasons. I wonder if... I'd be surprised if Federer or Nadal wanted to get involved with any kind of move against Djokovic. And then if they don't, then does anyone really have the influence to make that? So he's got a quite good chance of hanging on to the role, I think, if he wants to. Does that that state of play... Does, uh, I'm putting this to both both you and David. Does that dis- disappoint you? That that I mean, what what would it take? What would it take for them to to? Uh, I mean, yeah, Andy Murray has spoken out today, but as you say, perhaps not as strongly as one might have expected. You say you you'd be surprised if you hear Federer or Nadal speak out. What, I mean, <laughs> this is something so much bigger than than sporting trivial sporting politics this is um, it does beg the question what on earth would it take for them to be prepared to to put themselves on the line yeah i mean i think it does call into question the whole governance model of these tours again because when you just this this was something i've I've been increasingly feeling you know before any of this blew up is that is that the players uh, just it's their job to be to have tunnel vision. It's their job to to think they are right. If they, if they don't have those two things, they're not going to be top players. So, to then give them fifty percent of the say in these big organisations when they're pretty busy, you know, with their daily sporting preparations, it's just a nonsense. If we've learned anything over the past few months, it's that tennis players, given the taken, having tennis taken away from them and given time to sort of think and make decisions and post even more things on social media, is generally speaking not a good thing for the world. (laughs) That certainly feels like something I've learned. David? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, there's been what is it three three and a half months without tennis, and and even even just for Novak Djokovic, the rap sheet is is alarming when you consider the the anti-vax um, comments, his reluctance that he's stated publicly to have any sort of vaccine if he's going to return to the sport. He certainly wanted more time to have a think about that. If that ended up becoming the situation, there were the the Instagram lives he had with that. That guy who he was coming up with all sorts of theories together about, which again were were just against the idea of of everybody's perception of what real life is. Um, Not in, perception, r- reality, yeah, re- reason, um, science, logic. And, yeah. Um, and now this. So, and and there are others as well. I mean, the, his his initial description of of the uh the u.s open measures as being extreme because he he would have only been able to bring one team member initially there's just so many and look he's he's the best tennis player in the world on the men's side and if he sticks to that um no matter how good his intentions are and i'm sure he has good intentions i don't doubt that he was trying to put on a good event for for the good of everybody but he absolutely messed it up um in the most reckless irresponsible way imaginable and he didn't for a moment it seems question whether it was the the wrong thing to be doing he just he he just decided to do it with yes 
in his view, the guidance of the Serbian authorities, which having heard the guidelines that Matt read out to us that he took from the US embassy last night, they, they, they don't tally with those. Um, so there's so much to go out there just in terms of the things that happen on his own time. The, the, the thing that things that were lacking to me in his statement, this including the second statement, were any sort of taking responsibility for the damage you've just done to tennis the name of tennis and the sport itself because it's embarrassing it's really it's i know this stuff can happen yes people can test positive i know somebody tested positive on the golf tour at the weekend but you've just organized an event off your own back where every single recommendation that the world is adhering to was ignored um, and in fact, it was done so with a massive smile on everybody's face and, and as though you were just throwing it back in people's face. And, and th- that's just the worst look imaginable for the sport. And you're the world number one and you've got half the top 10 in the world alongside you. Um, and personally, I, th- I think Novak Djokovic sh- should step down. Um, and, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think that that would be a good move for him personally. I mean, just on the Serbian regulations, there was an interesting little turn of phrase in both statements where he was almost saying we followed the regulations as we believed them to be, which almost left wriggle room on the basis that, that he hadn't really kind of got, it almost sounded like he hadn't gone that far down the road of, of actually discussing them. Um, and there was a really nice quote, wasn't there, or, or insightful quote from the uh tournament director of a, of a women's event in Croatia who said that what had gone on was appalling and that it seemed like everyone just wanted to be seen with Djokovic and that was their, their motivation for, for being involved with the event and, and they actually forgot to, to think too hard about organising the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, incidentally, in Andy Murray's press conference that he did after his match, which we'll come on to talk about in a minute, but afterwards he was asked about it and he said, the gist of what he said was the situation was avoidable. It's not a great look for tennis. It shouldn't have gone ahead. It's not surprising to see positive tests after everything that was going on. Um, and fortunately, the US Open protocols are, are extremely different and as we were talking about last night, the only good thing that might come from it is an awareness of the importance of keeping to the rules. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Um, yeah, well, in terms of the questions still lingering and left unanswered by by what Djokovic has, has said thus far, I mean, for me, the... The most significant one is his failure to explain why he travelled back to Belgrade after it emerged that players had had tested positive in in Zadar. We saw the pictures emerging last night of I, I think the night before of all the other players of Zverev and 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 there was some some Donovakic was certainly there, um, all all queuing up after they heard the the Dimitrov news at a local testing centre waiting to to get their test done. And Djokovic was so conspicuous by his absence. And we had this statement saying, well, well, the likes of Marin Cilic and and, uh, and others were releasing statements, Andre Rublev were releasing statements saying, I've tested ne- negative, but I, I intend to self-isolate nonetheless. We had a statement from Djokovic saying, I don't have any symptoms, so I'm 
I'm traveling back to Belgrade with with my family, um, which is so clearly a- against the the global guidance for those that have come into contact with with infected people. My initial reaction when I heard all of that, Catherine, was to to think something must be something must be lost in communication there. That can't that can't be right. It, it, we somebody just well, hasn't caught a picture of him or something like that. Well, well, we, well re- we asked we asked you to to check with your your wife, your Croatian wife, that the the translation had been accurately done because yeah. we we couldn't quite we couldn't quite believe yeah. that that, and, that and, was. And to read his statement to, today confirming that, I I just don't understand. I mean, even even if there's some kind of even if there's no kind of physical harm being done, even if he hasn't come into further contact in those hours between when everybody else was testing in Zadar and when Novak got back to Belgrade and got tested, and if nobody else is infected, then good. But even even with the, even if that is the case. It just sounds terrible. It just looks terrible yet again. It's telling everybody you can travel with with or without the virus. Maybe you've got it, maybe you haven't, but you can go home and get yourself tested when you get there. And who cares who you might pass along the way? I know he doesn't m- mean to feel like that or mean to get that across, perhaps. That's what he's done. Simon, you've had to sit sit by and watch all of your colleagues on these news and, and politics desks get all the Dominic Cummings gags. And now's now's your chance to deploy them all. Well, I, I certainly got the headline uh, <laughs> on, into the uh, Telegraph website yesterday, uh, but it, it wasn't um, necessarily universally popular. So a lot of people felt that... Um, that I was unfairly impugning Cummings on the basis that he had done anything <laughs> wrong. Um, so... Crikey, what, what, you know you're in hot water, Novak, when when Dominic Cummings fans feel aggrieved about being compared to you. <laughs> the kind of cut through was sort of reminiscent of that story, just in the way that it really did catch people's attention, this, this sense of somebody having basically... Just that they were above the regulations or the principles um, of lockdown and pressed ahead regardless. It's just, just so similar. I mean, obviously, it's not, not doing quite um, the same numbers on uh, our uh, online reader meters, but it certainly was quite a popular story. I mean, in terms of the pickup on the things I was writing yesterday, it reminded me of some of the big moments, you know, Andy Murray winning Antwerp or Rafa um, saying that Carlos Bernardes couldn't umpire his matches or even um, Stan being sledged by Mirko. It was, it was kind of on that kind of level. Yeah. What now? What now? I think it's very quiet, actually, because Do obviously everyone's, everyone's isolating. There's so much else going on. That's why I'm not sure that he's going to be dislodged. If he doesn't, if he doesn't want to be dislodged, um, but I do think it might uh, have damaged his brand quite significantly with a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have taken an interest in whether or not they thought he was, you know, doing a, a good job in that role on the player council. But if it's impossible, if the system is 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 rigged to the, I mean, rigged is perhaps too emotive a word, but structured to the to the extent that it's kind of it's kind of impossible to to remove someone unwillingly um 
did, no matter no matter what offence they might commit, then if he's got the hubris to to just hang on and and wait for it to blow over, Dominic Cummings style, sleeves rolled up, ta- picnic table in the back garden, then who it's it, who what's to stop that happening? Well, I think that that's the parallel will continue. I think that, that, that no one's going to um, move against him. There was a quote from Andrea Gaudenzi in the New York Times that um, it was like somebody falling off a bicycle, and it would give a good example, effectively. So he certainly wasn't um, making any uh, criticism directly of Djokovic. Well, well, what if this does put the the tour's return? in 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 jeopardy because that is a real possibility that was something that that Andy Murray talked about today in his press conference isn't it yeah but I mean people are certainly talking about that and it's a a reasonable issue to raise but um it's not necessarily coming from anything other than you know our our kind of logic of where does this go from here I'm not sure anyone's sort of picking up those kind of signals most of these events you know the the rationales for running them are economic. It's it's uh, to save organisations from collapsing in some cases, or in the U.S. Open's case, the United States Tennis Association's case, from having to make even more swinging cuts. So they they, they will go ahead um, if they feel that they can get the um, benefit. Of, economically and if they feel they can deal with the risks you know in the sense of they're they're protected to some extent so i just think that that they will consider this to be an absurd sort of sideshow in which nobody uh administered the tournament properly and it doesn't necessarily have any direct bearing on how their own events should run I want to read out the words of uh, of our very own Matt Roberts on uh, on Twitter uh, because he's not with us tonight. But um, uh, I, f- I feel like these words deserve to be read for anybody that um, that hasn't seen them on his on his on at nine at Roberts ninety six Matt. It's not a catchy. It's not a catchy Twitter handle, Matt. You should work on that. Um, the Andrea Tour became a real life Greek tragedy for Djokovic. He was the protagonist. He thought it was well intentioned, but his hubris meant he lost touch with reality and caused his downfall. And with a sad twenty twenty twist, public health was risk. It was frankly indefensible. So there's Matt to uh, to put us all in the shade with his um, Greek mythology references, even without actually being present. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm used to being the the, the, the dunce in the room, and now, and now I'm fourth. Um, what's your feeling, David? I mean, where where from here? I know that's kind of an impossible question because it depends on developments. As Simon says, we've got players in self isolation, so. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think si- Simon is, is probably right. It, it probably goes quiet. I hope it goes quiet because there are several people here with coronavirus and I hope that nothing ha- bad happens mm. to them from here and that they get a really, really severe dose, which is possible. Somebody could get seriously ill. Somebody could die. That is what this virus 
has done to other people. And some people from this event have had it. I've got it right now. So let's hope it does go quiet. Let's hope nothing else upsetting happens from here. And But yeah, I mean, uh, this isn't like... Uh, a decision that one might make about a CEO or a, or a, a, or something that's unpopular within just the players. This is a this is embar- This has been leading news desks, um, sports desks. It was on Radio Four today. I heard heard you were on that, Catherine, and they were they were covering that the the story there. And this is this is matters to everybody. The coronavirus is one of the two big stories of the day at the moment and he is a massively well-known figure who has just created more of it um so it, it it is damaging to his reputation in that way and and i think he his second statement with its apology and with its acceptance of fault um and and contrition is what he needs to continue uh and he needs to in, increase the amount he's doing that in the months to come when he does speak next time. I think he has to change his his approach to to dealing with with people on on issues like, uh, uh, particularly leading on this now. Mm. Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't relish anything of what's to come in terms of in terms of that story. We wish we wish everybody well that's uh, that's currently affected. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. 
Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Just while we've just while we've got you, Simon, your impressions on day one uh, of day one of uh, of the Battle of the Brits. We've had a win for Andy Murray. That's got to be a good day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was a little bit like the football. I think in the, the, the some of the players probably were feeling their way back to you know feel match tightness, and there was um, yeah, Andy was moderately happy with the fact that he he served a return well, but said that he was not really hitting his ground strokes as he would expect. Um, he, he kind of lost balance, and you could see him kind of lurching around, leaning backwards, not quite being set. But he, he still um, beat Liam Brody 6-2-6-2. Um, I think Carl Edmund was the pick of the day. I thought by beforehand he was probably my favourite for an indoor tournament. I think he was probably pointing in the right direction. He's got to play Murray tomorrow in a match that Murray says he doesn't expect to win, but then they've all been talking each other down all the way, or talking themselves down, I should say, all the way through the build-up to this event. So, uh, you know, it was nice to see some live tennis. It would have been even better if it had finished before 9.20 or whatever it was, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was still a, a, a pleasant return. Um, it was quite interesting what he had to say, Andy Murray, about playing with no crowds, wasn't it? He he talked about actually for the for the players, it kind of in enhancing the one on one duel aspect of the sport and actually the intensity for the for a player is actually almost in some ways heightened. Yeah, he said that they felt like there was an atmosphere out there because there was nobody to distract the players from each other. Um and uh, Dan Evans said as well that you know when he beat um Jay Clark, he felt like it was a proper match. There was no sort of sense of it being a, a friendly or a practice set or anything. Um, and I thought that the level uh, Evans and Edmund played was both pretty good. They were, they were none of those singles matches were close. But then uh, with an eye on the clock, it, we would have struggled to get Andy's press conference into the paper if they had gone close. So I was probably happy. I'm getting, I'm getting the impression, Simon, that you possibly had more than one eye on the clock. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was right on the brink of, uh, of the first edition. Um, yeah, David, your impressions? Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, we were chatting, Matt and I, earlier on about how we couldn't quite understand why, but even with no crowd, that it wasn't off-putting. It was it it had a sense of drama about it, and I think it's a because we were interested in the matchup, particularly because it's Andy Murray's return. And I do think it had almost like that Crucible Theatre World Snooker Championships feel that the silence, in some ways, added to the the tension. Um, and you know, I did quite enjoy the fact that they were though they were able to be interviewed mid-match. I think that that is an interesting concept. Um, some of them worked better than others, but I think I think that there is potential there for that to be very interesting. Whether whether you would get agreement from players to do that at big tournaments where stakes are high, I don't know. But it's certainly a way to fill some uh, some of the silences and and to and to just get this immediate Im- input into the match. Um, I actually just on the subject of Murray, I think it's a reason to celebrate wildly. 
personally because he hasn't played for seven months. And I think if we went back to earlier this year when he was pulling out of events, when he pulled out of didn't play Australia and, and, and things like that, I think we it was it wasn't too far off in my mind where we were a year and a half ago in t- in terms of thinking his career is going to end. I, I I thought there was a real chance that, and it may well still be. Look, this is only one match, um, but I think the fact he's got himself out on the court, he didn't look great today at all. As I agree with all the things Simon said, but it wasn't terrible either. He got through the match. Mm. I wonder if, uh, just going back to the crowds thing, I wonder if it's a factor that you, you're playing in a court that that doesn't have seating, doesn't have empty seating. There's something about seeing that empty seating. is Sort of, you know, what what could have been. Um, it, it's actually enhanced by it being, you know, just looking like a sort of leisure centre <laughs> down the road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, what they end up doing, I mean, I think one of the interesting things with the US Open is the fact that they've got the inverted commas Cincinnati tournament the week before and are they going to play all three weeks on the Arthur Ashe Stadium? And as you say, that cavernous bowl of an arena. Are they even going to use the Arthur Ashe Stadium? Uh, I mean, it's almost almost like a troll having a stadium (laughs) that big with no one in it. Yeah, I mean, but, but... I mean, there was one word Dan Evans used, which uh, a few weeks back, when he talked about about the idea of the US Open going ahead under these circumstances, he said, it's intriguing. And it's certainly that. I mean, it's just, I mean, he might have even used the word iconic, <laughs> which I'm not sure I agree with that. But I mean, th- there is an intrigue about it. And just seeing who handles these situations the best. Do you think he's thinking this is my big chance to win a slam? he doesn't give two hoots whether there's an an asterisk I'd tell you what he was pumped up today and actually there were a few of them but he within a few points I noticed he was just giving himself (laughs) the biggest come on so as was Andy Murray there were some very funny Andy Murray moments where he's just going let's go and and big serve come on speaking of iconic I feel like the note we should end on is the the what for for me will be an everlasting visual memory of Jamie Delgado crouched in the corner of a tennis court um, collecting and distributing balls um, yeah that was yes. that was quite something you know, it's a bit like the moments when they used to banish um, the uh, the coaches up to the rafters at the uh, the O2 wasn't it you remember when they weren't allowed to sit down by the side of the court. Um, there's, there's always something going on with Andy and his uh, entourage. <laughs> that was the latest. Yeah, I mean, good on Jamie Delgado for being sort of pre- prepared to do that. I'm not sure if if someone had come up to me in that position pre-match and said, will you will you crouch in the corner and, and collect the balls for me? And, and I, I think I'd have gone, no, that's not in my job description. <laughs> But anyway, good on him. Good on him. Um, any other business, chaps, other than going to sleep, Simon? Very clearly for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I need, I need to find some uh, Red Bull. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> Let's go and find some Red Bull. Let's okay, do some more podcasts. Yeah, no, David's no, no. seemingly permanently on the Red Bull. Um, <laughs> well, we much appreciate it, Simon. Really do. Uh, and these are. Well, I feel like we said this a lot this year, but but really unprecedented times. Um, so it feels important to cover it, um, and we look forward to um, 
to your coverage of well the uh, the Adrid Tour stuff, the Battle of the Brits. Um, check out Simon's stuff in the Telegraph. It's going to be great. Dominic's cu- Dominic Cummings uh, gags abound. I hope. Simon, I will be sorely disappointed if that's not the case. Uh, so thanks for being here, David. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Matt, who's, who's listening in intently, so he knows what to write about the episode when he uploads it later. He, he can see me, I can see him, but you can't hear him, but he's here. He's waving. He's still delivered the best line of the podcast tonight. So, so uh, irritating. It's so annoying. Uh, and we'll be back, well, I think uh, Thursday or Friday. But um, possibly sooner if David Law has a has a bright idea. Um, but yeah, we'll see you soon. And of course, we're starting with Wimbledon relived from Monday of next week. So you've got that to look forward to as well. But Simon, David, Matt, thank you. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 